welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey everybody, welcome to another Knock On Podcast, and uh, for this edition, I've got uh, something pretty unique. Um, you know, one thing that I really appreciate out there, and especially in the archery community, is is all the military that we have serving us and protecting us, and uh, and a big part of who I am and my personality and the people that I like to deal with are the everyday guys, the average Joes. And uh, I've actually got someone that has been supporting Knock On on the Facebook side of things for almost a year or two now. And, uh, you know, this guy, I started to notice him, started to notice some of his pictures. Uh, His name's Justin Babcock. He's actually over in Iraq serving for us. So I sent him a message Hopefully this will be a little pickup and a little uh, surprise for him, but I sent him a message asking for his phone number, and I told him that I was going to call him and uh, let him ask me some questions one-on-one that he wanted answered. So this is going to be a really cool opportunity to hear from a grassroots type of guy, and uh, and for me, just a super special opportunity to talk with someone that I've literally never met I've never heard from, but I just 100% appreciate. So let's go ahead and try to get Justin on the phone. Justin, you there? Yep, I'm here. <laughs> How are you, man? It's John Dudley. Hey, pretty good. How are you? Pretty good, man. A little bit hoarse, obviously. It's early in the morning over here. It was, uh, yeah. I guess, a little bit too early. I'd forgot to turn my microphone on. So. <laughs> <laughs> How's everything going over in Afghanistan, man? Uh, crazy. I mean, uh, it's looking like our contract's up, so we'll be, we could be headed home here in about two weeks. Well, that's good for you, man, for sure. I know, yeah. I know you've, uh, you've definitely played your part over there. Uh, for all you listeners out there, just so you know, this is actually the first time that I've ever talked with Justin. Um, Justin is just a, a great guy and I've, I've actually just started following you on Facebook. Um, you know, I think first you liked, uh, the knock on TV page and, uh, you know, we couldn't help but see some of your posts and you, you've got a great looking family, man. You've got, how many kids do you have? Um, I got three. You've got three kids. It looks like you're definitely a family man and, uh, you know, share, there's some. Sometimes there's some photos of you, and especially when you leave and go back over for duty, it's it's touching for us. I just want you to know that uh, we really appreciate everything that you do uh, for the country because you know it's guys like you that that give us the life that we have over here. And I'm sure you hear that all the time, but you know, at at least with with what I'm doing and with Knock On, uh, for those of you who watch regularly uh you know i do try to surround myself with good military people you know my dad was a special forces green beret out of the 82nd airborne and uh you know i just i can't help but 
you know, appreciate every little drop of work that all you guys do and the sacrifice. And honestly, I don't know how, how you can, uh, do it being away from a, from a family like that. I know that for me, when I'm traveling for just for hunts or for seminars, I've got about a eight or 10 day max. And that's, that's about all I can take. Yeah. It's, it's very hard. You do it enough. I mean, it, it, it sounds weird saying this, but it actually, it gets easier leaving after a while, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it still sucks. And, you know, I appreciate, you know, everything. So, you know, thank you. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, back when I shot on all the, on all the pro tours, you know, you are right. It does, it gets to the point where you just look at it as a job and you come and go, but you know, still there's, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing like being home. That's a hundred percent for sure. At least, at least in my world, there's no place better than home for sure. But, uh, yeah. What do you guys get to do any shooting over there? I mean, can you shoot your bows at all or can you even get them over there? I guess I've never even asked. Actually you can, you can get them sent over here. You can get arrows and stuff sent, but you can't send arrows and broadheads or, or field tips back. So, okay. Okay. I mean, if you mind, you know, if you're going to spend 120 or $140 on arrows, you pretty much left them here because you can't, you can't bring them back. All right. Well, do you think you're going to go back anytime soon? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know. All right. Well, if you go back again, you call me and I'll, I'll get you a dozen arrows so that you don't have to worry about leaving them behind. I'd, I'd gladly do that for you. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> so everybody always asks me though, they're like, all you talk about is bow hunting. Why, why don't you have your bow over here? And it's the thing with like customs in Afghanistan. I, I just don't trust them. Yep. Which is, it's hard, but I mean, you spend $1,500 on a bow. I mean, you don't really want them to just take it. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Well, Next time, next time you decide to, uh, if you do go back and you decide to take your bow, you let me know. I'll, I'll get some, I'll get some arrows there for you. I, I want you shooting. Awesome. I want you shooting, and uh, I think it'd be cool for all the listeners out there to be able to get some pictures of you uh, shooting your bow over there, and and uh, I'll definitely put a knock on hat in there for sure as well. But oh, cool. Yeah, I just thought this would be really unique. You know, there's obviously these podcasts give me the freedom to, one, to talk a little bit more in length on subjects. You know, everything that I do for the TV show, it's, you know, I'm kind of limited to like three and a half minutes. And and also when I'm doing an article, you know, I'm limited to like 1,800 words. So by the time you do a an intro paragraph and a closing paragraph, you're kind of right in that 1500 word range. And, you know, like right. if, like, for example, I just did a feature for Peterson's, uh, five ways to miss. And, you know, you, you look at, you gotta, you know, if you got 1500 words left and you've got five things you got to talk on, well, you know, 300 words per subject or, you know, it's, it's hard to really get, uh, to really get in depth with things. So that's what I really like about these podcasts. I can, 
not only have good friends on and, and old pros and guys within the industry that uh, I know a lot of people would like to hear, but also, you know, for me, and I think a big part of why I have such a, I guess, a following when it comes to target archery is because I've always focused so much of my attention on the grassroots part of archery. You know, I've always, instead of going over and doing big venues and big shops, I've gone into some of the smallest clubs and and worked with the people. You know, I guess I've got a philosophy on that. And, and this is, you know, for those of you listeners out there who wonder why I don't always go you know, go out to the world championships and stuff like that. Well, a lot of the pros, you know, they're friends of mine. They're people that I deal with all the time in life. I talk with them regularly, but it's the grassroots people. Those are the people that for me are, are really the ones that I like to impact with archery because, you know, if I'm going to, um, go to a, target venue and see Martin Damsbo or Chris White, you know, we're really not going to talk archery. We're going to probably just shoot the bull and talk about families or what's going on. But when I get to go to the venues where, you know, there's open registration and there's, there's actual club shooters, true grassroots archers. I mean, those are the ones that one, I, I really like to help get better, but two, the ones that I think value um, the information the most because a lot of these conversations once you get up to the pro level they're conversations that you know that that we've had with probably other pros 10 or 20 years ago so I just thought it'd be cool to get you on here and uh, get some total impromptu live questions from Afghanistan <laughs> I think it's awesome that, that you're even doing this. I mean, taking the time out, cause I know I'm, you're probably a very busy guy. I mean, I understand that. And then, you know, just to take time out of your busy schedule to actually listen, you know, to us little peons out there that, you know, that, that just want to talk to you about, you know, little things that, you know, we want, we want to know more about. And I just think it's very awesome that you're actually, you're doing this. Yeah, well, I I remember, yeah, no problem. I remember, you know, a lot of people don't know, but I used to ski um, competitively, and I skied skied moguls. And, you know, I remember way back then, this is like before, I mean, I was a hunter, but I wasn't obviously in the type of position that I'm in in now. But I remember going to, like, um, this, like, world tour, and there was, like, a whole bunch of pros there, and there was there was actually one pro that was that was my favorite he was an extreme skier named Glenn Plake and uh you know out of all the pros there he was the one that and he was probably the most popular you know he had the most kind of media around him in the ski world and you know he was the one that actually just he saw that I was really interested in learning so he actually took time and and answered a lot of questions and told me some cool stories and uh and I just remember that and I remember walking away from it and I was like 16 or 17 years old at the time and I thought you know if if I'm ever put in a position I want to make sure that I 
do that same exact thing because you know I I personally think it's our responsibility. I think once you know I don't really well I'm definitely don't think of anyone as a peon by any means. Um, you know I don't I just consider myself someone that uh, loved archery, struggled with it, figured out ways to make it work, um, stuck with it, has tried to not burn any bridges in the industry and uh share my information and it just seems like that recipe is is a good one really for anybody you know and I get I actually get asked the question a lot you know what people that just become TV personalities you know how they should market themselves and you know hey I want to go after bigger sponsors and my reply is always focus on you know go back to where you started you need to put some attention back to those people that got you into that position and there's a good chance they're probably going to support you to to make another step you know back when I was um, before I had even started shooting professionally you know I worked directly with an archery shop and I guess this is a pretty good story too you know when I was um when I was in college, I actually had a, um, I had a college football scholarship. I was going to be playing football in, in Carolina. And, uh, during that summer, my senior summer, I actually, um, had some problems with my knee because we were practicing on AstroTurf. And, uh, I ended up having to go in and do like a rehab. Well, while I was rehabbing, I actually was driving down the road and I saw this sign close to my house for it said 3D archery shoot. So I went and drove to my house and got my bow and came back and shot this 3D archery shoot for the first time. And this is back, you know, probably 20 years ago now. Um, And on that first time on that range and I was a hunter at this time you know I was probably in the same position as you I really enjoyed hunting I liked my bows I liked buying a few new gadgets every year but when I went out on that 3d range and had to judge distance for myself and shoot at these scoring rings um, I was out of arrows before I was about halfway through the course and for me as a competitor that was the first time I'd ever really felt defeated so I actually, uh, I left the shoot, I drove to a Gander Mountain about 30 miles away, bought another dozen arrows, and drove back just so I could finish the course. And then the next day, I was in the closest archery shop where all the guys that had done well shot out of, and I was there, and while I was behind, or, you know, while I was in front of the counter just kind of talking to people and asking them, you know, how why are you shooting that longer stabilizer and how come your veins are shorter? And, you know, I'm asking them all this stuff. And while I was doing it, the guy behind the counter was just in a frenzy because he was, uh, you know, he had a whole bunch of things to do and he was by himself. So he ended up, he said, Hey kid, can you come help me for a minute? And he pulled me in the back and he said, okay, you take this, you take this fletching, you put it in this clamp right here put a small thing of glue down this and then press it on the arrow. And he said, once you do this one, turn this table, go to the next one and just keep doing this. And he said, you got to fletch, you know, there's two dozen arrows here. They all got to be like green and white or whatever it was. So, (laughs) so that was, that was how I got my, and, and what was funny is at the end of the night, 
the guy, his name was Mike Donovan. Uh, there's a lot of industry people out there that know that name. He he was a you know a very reputable archery manager back in the day. I actually worked I worked for a big gun shop called Gat Guns. It was in Illinois. But uh, after that night, Mike came to the back. He said, "Oh man, these look great. Thanks." He said, "Can you be back tomorrow?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." So that went on for like almost four weeks, and I was like. Every two weeks, I was seeing people get paychecks. So finally, I said, you know, he was handing out paychecks. And I'm like, hey, you know, do I get a paycheck? And he's like, what? You can't put a price tag on what you're learning. And I'm like, well, yeah, well, I appreciate it. But I also can't put gas in my tank if I'm not getting any money for driving here every night. So, (laughs) you know, yep, it's not anything I recommend anyone out there. But I left a... uh, a college football scholarship to go work for an archery shop for four bucks an hour. And, uh, you know, that was, wow. that was the commitment that I made. And, uh, I just stuck with it. And, you know, all these little questions and, you know, one thing that I was taught as a player by several different coaches is it's always the small things. The small things are always what add up. And, you know, I was, I was definitely um, focused on all the small things while I was developing my career. I focused on one at a time. And as I did that, you know, I continued to build this, you know, puzzle that ended up, you know, coming in the shape of, of myself as a professional archer. And, you know, at times I lose a few pieces. I got to figure out how to, you know, I got to look around for them and put them back in place. But, you know, that's the reality. We have to build the puzzle and then recognize when those little pieces, you know, have fallen off and then put them back in there so that we can do everything right. That's crazy. Sorry to get a little long winded, but that's, what's nice about this. I can, I can tell the stories and, you know, and, and a lot of the people out there who wonder, you know, how I got my start, that's all part of it. I mean, 100%, you know, these, it's these little things that add up and, um, you know, guys like yourself that just, you know, you're over, you know, in Afghanistan serving our country, but you're thinking about bow hunting and you're looking through Facebook posts on your free time and you're able to click like when someone posts a picture of a cool deer or someone posts a picture of a a good group and an archery target. And, you know, for me, you know, that's a hundred percent. I would, you know, there, there's a lot of celebrities, I guess, you know, quote unquote in this industry. And, um, and I'm certainly friends with, with several of them and there's some great people out there, but when it comes to the true people that, that I like to be involved with, it's, it's the ones that really don't have, um, they don't have an initiative. They just love the sport and and love getting better and and want to want to go out and be successful in the next hunting season. Well, let's talk about. Why don't you give me a few questions? Uh, do you have what are things that you've you know that I guess that are archery or hunting related? You know, are there any things that you would like to ask? And you know, I'm sure. W- since this is kind of improv, we'll, we'll be able to find some subjects where we kind of just dive right into. Okay. 
Well, I actually had a question about Aeroflight as far as, I mean, I've most of the time when I buy arrows, when I buy them new, I'll buy two dozen arrows. Well, I'll find the ones that, that shoot, and they shoot where I want them to shoot. But then there's just these arrows that, for whatever reason, I, I can't tune them. Is there actually arrows that just are untunable? Kind of like buying a lemon car. I mean, is is it is it possible? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the way that I could the way that I could relate this to you is, um, you know, if you're in the military, right? So, you know, your snipers, I'm sure. And I and I've got one on the knock on crew. You know, Justin Schaefer is a former world champion sniper and a sniper instructor for us. But um, I can assure you that his ammunition is match grade ammunition. It's it's perfectly duplicated. But you could also go to a store and buy a good pack of you know a good pack of Winchester rounds or Federal, and they're going to be good too. You know, there's going to be the occasional one that misfires, but for the most part, you know, they're 90% great. But then mm-hmm. you can go in the sportsman's warehouse and buy a whole five-gallon bucket of of uh, of ones for like a third of the price. And you know, if you if you do any type of target shooting, they won't hit worth a crap. You know what I mean? So, right. you know, there's grades and that's one thing when I talk about arrow selection and like in the past, I've picked different arrows out of, out of the catalogs and stuff. But, you know, when I open my Easton catalog and I'm looking at a new arrow, one of the first things that I look at is, is the straightness and the spine consistency. Because, you know, if you find those arrows that are you know, plus minus point zero zero three four five. You know what that's telling you is, you know, there's there's gonna be some that have some chime to them. There's gonna be some that have a little bit of wobble to them. Um, you know, and you can if you have like an arrow spinner, you can see that. You know, there's some arrows when you spin it, it's got a little bit of chime to it. And uh, honestly. A lot of the manufacturers, especially like carbons, when the carbon arrows come out of the production line, you know, they run them through that and they check them for straightness and consistency. And the ones that spin true, those will get sorted into a category. And, you know, sometimes the exact same arrow shaft is multiple models in some archery companies' um, arrow lineup. So, you know, let's say... Um, say I produce 50 uh, arrows and 20 of them spin like like a top and another 20 of them you know spin you know pretty good but then 10 of them kind of wobble like crazy well to be honest you could you know one arrow could be even though it's the exact same shaft one arrow is probably going to get a little bit slightly different graphic on it, and it's going to be called the Dud Super Arrow. And the next one's going to get a pretty cool graphic on there, and it's going to, you know, it's going to be called, you know, whatever the Dud Hunter Max. And then 
<laughs> then the ones that that aren't that good are going to get a label on there probably for for kids or beginners or they're probably going to go in a big a big mass bucket that goes to Walmart <laughs> you know and that's that's the truth mm-hmm. so yeah there's you know there is arrows that are going to not be 100% to match the other ones and there's you know it's not only the weight or the straightness but it's also you know, the spine consistency. So there's a couple things you can do there. One, you can plot, and that's what it sounds like you're doing, and that's super smart. I mean, 100%, you want to do that. You know, I'll take, I'll go out and, um, you know, I'll fletch a dozen arrows. I'll go out and I'll take one arrow, put a broadhead on it. I'll shoot it like three or four times, and I'll go down, I'll circle it on the, on a, on the target, you know, I normally start with fresh paper. I'll circle those holes. And granted, if you're not making a good shot, you got to weed that out. You know, I always say that. Right. If if you're making a, a, you know, if you feel like you're at 80% or a little better on your shot, then, you know, you need to, you need to count it. So you go down there, I'll circle the hole, and then I'll write on there, like, you know, arrow one right by the hole. So then I'll do that same thing with that second arrow. And, you know, and then when you're all done and you've shot, you know, a group of three ultimately with with all 12 arrows in your batch, there might be the occasional one that hits a little bit outside that group. So then from there, you know, the next thing that I try to do is, is knock tune it. And what that involves is just turning your knock to a different position in the arrow shaft because what that does is it actually, it'll turn you know, it kind of turns the spine or the stiff part of that arrow into a new position. With some arrows, it's more critical than others. But for the most part, I found that that with knock tuning, you know, you can sometimes get an arrow that may be a little bit out of whack to come back into the group. And what you may find too is when you go to do that, you may find one arrow where the knock just like spins in the shaft. And, you know, and that's telling you that that tolerance there isn't very good either so when you plot those you know take those arrows and uh you know and normally you know i kind of always put a little x on mine if i have any arrows that have a bit of a wobble or that group outside of you know outside of my broadhead group then i'll just put a little x on the veins and those are typically the ones that i practice with the most with with field points or if i'm gonna you know if i'm gonna shoot like groups into targets i'll shoot those because obviously if i wreck them it's of less importance to me but by really buying arrows and focusing on that straightness in the long run the investment actually pays for itself because you know like for example um last year i really promoted the easton hex and what I liked about that shaft was the fact that I pulled a dozen shafts. I actually had two dozen. I got two dozen shafts, and every single one wouldn't even budge the needle on my spine checker. I mean, it, it, it they just spun like a top, all, all 24 of them, and I didn't have any flyers in that group. So that's kind of why I did that video last year, because it was like, man, these are impressive. Because regardless of what arrow company you represent or what arrow you like to shoot, 
you know, there is the case where there's going to be one in there that might not totally group like the others. And, you know, obviously, if you're buying or investing in the ones that have the least amount of those, then in the long run, you know, you're you're getting a better value for your money. Right. Was that the same? Let me see. I think I'd seen something on the internet where you had taken the Easton Hex and you put it up against, I think it was like Carbon Carbon Express. Yep, yep. And uh, it was, you're talking about a video that I did several years ago, um, and that was actually called The Straightforward Truth. That's that's still on YouTube. And, right. uh, and honestly, you know, I wasn't trying to, I'm not, specifically trying to to bash any uh group because normally I or brand I always try to walk the fence on things but sometimes as a technical writer and sometimes well sometimes I do things as a writer but there's other times where I really look at something as a consumer and I actually use that video as my way of trying to tell the whole industry as a whole that we need to keep the marketing within check because there was a lot of marketing behind that that was telling people to pay more for an arrow and that they were going to have that it was a dual spine arrow and that there was um, that it was like a true weight forward technology and so I more or less just compared it against a standard arrow that you could buy for less money and the marketing that they had ployed um, just wasn't holding up and I didn't think it was you know I just didn't think that it was straightforward and honest marketing and you know there's been times where archery companies have um, have advertised speeds for their bow and I've been really vocal about this thing does not get this speed. Um, you know, there's been several <laughs> yeah, years. Yeah, that's always been crazy. Yeah, see, several several years ago, um, and there there's a couple things, and, it, and the industry's getting better, but, you know, there's a few things that don't have industry standards to them. So unless it's changed, like back when, back when the archery companies were really in the speed advertising, you know, campaigns, um, I know that one bow company, um, and it wasn't it wasn't one of the any of the ones that I've worked for in the past, but you know they were advertising some very high speeds for the time, and I'm talking like 15 feet per second higher than any than the other bows on the market. And what really bothered me about that was when whenever I went and grabbed, because see a lot of times I'll go and buy a bow off a rack. I'll go and I'll go and and buy, um, you know, a bow off a rack or a product off the rack, just like with those arrows. I went and bought those at our local shield store, and then I'll come back and test it. Well, I bought like um, a brand new thirty-inch bow off the rack. I mean, and it this company like had this little like letter that they put in the box, and they kind of said, you know the the draw length was this the speed was this here's your speed and like someone signed it and the draw length when i drew it back on my on my draw board here which is a hundred percent you know the same type of thing that that we that i've used 
in R&D labs at several archery companies, it was drawing like an inch and a quarter long. So a 30-inch bow was drawn like 31 and a quarter. So I went to the shop, and I just told them, I said, can I can I pull a couple of these back? And what I did was I marked an arrow where it was at a true 30 inches. And um, I pulled these back and every one of them were running over an inch long. Well, just simple, you know, engineering. If the cam is exactly the same, you typically gain eight to 10 feet per second per inch of draw length anyway, you know, and that's, Mm -hmm. that's just standard. So, you know, these guys were advertising, you know, 10 or 12 feet per second faster out of the box. And it was with, you know, the smallest little knocking point you could ever imagine and a bow that was drawing an inch too long. So, you know, it, it, it wasn't quite fair. And even now, I think the industry standard is you can be plus or minus. I think it's three quarters of an inch. So, some manufacturers choose to push their draw links to that longer end of the spectrum just so that they can get that extra six feet a second. But, you know, I just, I don't, I don't particularly like, um, when things aren't totally clear and honest, you know, I've, there's been times where I've been with companies and they've wanted to go down that road and, I've just always put my foot down, whether it was someone that I worked for or as a consumer, and that's really what I was doing. And honestly, um, I never, uh, I was never contacted by them for that. Um, and I think probably some of the reason is is because they know what I was saying was was true, and and that whole marketing campaign uh, kind of dissolved and and just kind of went, they changed their focus, which for me as a consumer, you know, I want to know what you're doing right. I don't want to know what everyone else is doing wrong. You know, tell me, tell me what we're doing right. And, and that's kind of what I, what I did with that was I just took a standard arrow off the shelf and said, okay, well, here's this arrow. And this actually gives you a little bit better benefits, but it's at a cheaper price. And, you know, and I will say the Carbon Express arrows shot great. I shot them here for my testing, and they shot good. So, you know, I if someone's just going to go and buy them, they're, you know, you're going to have fine success with them. But just know going in, you're not getting these things that they're advertising by paying the extra money. You're just getting a different brand, you know. That, that was my whole mm-hmm. intention with that. Yeah, and I think with that, with them advertising that higher speed, I mean, the average person wouldn't know any better. Wouldn't know any better. They're gonna be like, "Oh wow, you know, this thing's fast." Yeah, certainly not. You know, and that there's a couple things there, and you know, I guess people out there should should know. You know, a lot of times, like they'll be an archery company, and and uh, they'll advertise. You know, they're getting these awesome speeds, and then and then you look at their bow, and like you go to the bo- the the bow on the rack and the string is like thinner. I mean, noticeably thinner and all they're doing by taking strands out of the string is they're gaining speed. I mean, you know, you reduce strand count, you're going to increase string speed, you know, you're going to increase bow speed. Um, you know, and, and as a hunter, 
you don't want to have to worry about taking your bow into a shop and continually having to twist your string back into the correct length. So some of that stuff, unfortunately, is just to sell you. But, you know, and in my opinion, a lot of things have gotten better over the years in the industry. But, you know, and that's one thing that I talked about on a previous podcast was not believing everything you read in the broadhead world, too. You know, I shoot broadheads that I really believe in and that I know have performed well for me. But I also know that I've went to the store and I've bought a pack of broadheads that have a lot of claims on them and uh, they just do not perform. I mean, 100%. They do not perform the way that they're said. And a lot of people go out and they just screw them on their thing and they go hunting. And then, you know, they spend a lot of time there and the buck of a lifetime comes by and they make a bad shot or they think they did but did they i mean or or did you just put something on the end of your arrow that you assumed would hit the same as your field point and you know you shot them poorly was it really you or was it the fact that you hadn't actually practiced with what you're going to play with you know what i mean right well what else you got man i actually had wrote down um about strings. Okay. I, uh, I've been looking at winner's choice. I've heard from, you know, other people that they're great strings. Yep. But I've only had my bow for a couple of years and I was wondering how long does a string last or, you know, when should you change out a string? Yep. Yep. And about like maintenance. I mean, I know you want to put wax and stuff on it, but is there any other tips or guidelines that you should follow as far as, you know, taking care of a string? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I shoot winner's choice myself. I've shot it for, shot them for a long, 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 long time. Um, I even shot them when I worked at Matthews. I bought them and secretly put them on. Um, (laughs) you know, here's, what's funny. There's, and, and again, there's the industry has gotten better for sure at this. Um, and a lot of, a lot of companies now actually put on higher end strings on your, the bows, you know, they actually buy strings like from winner's choice or, you know, or another company and put them on their bows standard. Um, but it, for me, when I like, especially back back when I worked at Matthews, um, you know, I was always, I guess, you know, and I don't want to, I want to be clear too. I'm not trying. I definitely am not saying this to try to to degrade anybody because some of the hardest working people in that company were in the string department. I mean, that is that is an extremely tedious job. I mean, to sit there and serve. I mean, these people had tape wrapped around their fingers like the size of hot dogs because, you know, they're sitting there pulling on those strings all day long. They work their butts off. But, you know, the strings that are made within the company are needed. They're, They're designed and they're built at a much higher pace than what a custom string can be made. You know, they're, 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 
made in a way to where they can keep up with the amount of bows that's going out of that building every day. And they're also made to be cost effective. I mean, obviously, if you've got a if you've got a string that you're putting fifty dollars worth of parts and labor into, it's hard to to have a bow that's fifty dollars more than than all the other ones that are on the rack because you've got you know because you're putting that much more time into string. So a lot of times they're making a good string but not a great string. You know they're needing one that mm-hmm. the, they kind of find that middle road. Um, but there's certainly ones that are better, you know, like, um, for example, um, you know, the fuse strings that, that Hoyt makes, I actually like that process way better. Um, when it, when it comes to factory type strings, because you can see the end loops are all served, you know, I'm a big fan of having my end loops served. So I don't ever have single strands coming off the cams or, or wear and tear, um, but they're also using a different material now, which is a lot more popular. But, you know, I like being able to, one, pick my color. You know, I like, obviously, I'm totally flow green on my strings and cables. But, you know, I know that when I put when I put a Winter's Choice string on, um, and I've actually got two bows here sitting in my office right now that I have to build um, for some, some pro shooters that had them shipped here. And I've got brand new sets of winner's choice to go on there. And for me, you know, time is money too. As a shooter, as a hunter, you know, the least amount of trips you have to make to the archery shop, the better off you're going to be. You know, it's more practice time. So buying a string to where when you put it on there, you can make a few shots and your peep is going to stay in that position for, you know, dang near as much as you want to shoot. That's pretty critical. You know, having a string where your peep slowly starts to creep and it's turning and it's turning and then you've got to shoot a peep tube or you've got to go back in the range to get it to move or you've got to pull back and, like, use your nose or your mouth to twist the thing around. You know, all that stuff kind of screws up your your routine and your archery form too. So That's what mine was doing last year when I was shooting. Yep. Kept turning on you? Yeah. Yep. And it got to the point where you, the guy at the archer shop was like, you're either going to put new strings on, better strings, or we're going to have to put this tube on. Yep. And at the time, I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm headed back out here. I'm not going to shoot it. You know, I'll just I'll deal with it later. And, yep. of course, another season goes by, and I'm, <laughs> now I'm just out I'm of sight, out of it. mind. I'm, yeah. I'm well, I'm just gonna go do it. I'm gonna buy you know winner's choice strings and yeah. Well, here's here's what I do, and I do this all the time. So as soon as I as soon as I order a bow or I get a bow, I look at my strings and cables as an investment. You know, I figure for the extra, you know, I guess I don't know. Um, you know, different sets and different lengths cost different different prices, but. For me, I've always looked at if it costs me an extra hundred bucks for insurance, I'm gonna do it, you know. And mm-hmm. um, first off, I'm putting a better set on there before I've ever shot it, so I don't have. I know I'm not, you know. Once my bow's set up, or once the shop sets it up for me, I know that I'm not gonna have to mess around with trying to to ever have to do what you're doing. But also, um, I'm I'm gonna be able to 
take the first set that I had and they're already twisted down to the right length. Um, you know, I'll just remove those. I'll put a paper clip through the end of them so no twists come out. And I put those right into my bow case that I travel with because, you know, that gives me an insurance policy. If I were to ever cut a string or a cable on a hunting trip, I can just open my bow case and there's my backup. It's right there. Um, nice. And and the and I I really started promoting this several years ago. I went on a moose hunt up way up in Alberta, and at the time I was shooting. Um, I took an eighty pound Apex Seven, um, and it was two years prior to production. So that like no one had seen this bow. I mean, it was like you know kind of the first of its kind. And I snuck it up there, and I was doing a hunt with it and wanted to test it out. Well. Um, I actually had a cat quiver on my, it was the first time I'd ever used a cat quiver, you know, and it was kind of on my side and they've got that little trough, like where your broadheads are in there and it's like open because you kind of push the arrows up into the top part and then you set them down into there. Well, we called and we got a bull to respond. So we went after this bull and I mean, we're way in the middle of nowhere and, um, I was kind of running and I remember my string kind of get kind of snagging that trough and I kind of pulled it out, but I didn't think nothing of it. You know, I was kind of, we heard the bull, we were trying to move into position. So we get in a position and we're calling, we're calling, I'm looking at the bull and the bull's coming, the bull's coming. And then the bull actually comes in and he gets to the part where I'm getting ready. I need to get ready to shoot him. So I reached down to, to put my, to kind of clip my release on the string and my loop was facing straight away from me and I'm like so I kind of looked down and I'm like moving the loop moving the loop and I kind of twist it back around to where it's pointing back towards me and I thought well that's weird but so I clip my release on and then I kind of raise my bow up slow and as I go to pull it back I look at the peep sight and the peep sight's facing straight away from me too so then I'm like oh, what dude. the heck so I look down and there's two strands holding my bow together. I had cut my string in that freaking broadhead tray. So I had, I had to like the outfitters looking at me going, shoot him, shoot him. And I'm like pointing at my bow. Like I can't pull this thing back. So we went back into this small town with like 105 inch string. No one's got it. By the time, you know, my hunt would be over by the time one would get up there. So we had to ask all around town. We actually found um, a local longbow shooter that had some old string material. And I and I actually built a string for that thing using a couple decking nails, a couple long, like, spike nails out on a guy's deck. I, like, nailed them into the deck and, you know, made this string that the guy had a serving tool and you know by the time you twist it up and you try to serve a string with like zero tension on it it took me and the only bow press they had in that town was someone had like one of those bow masters those ones that you crank so Uh so it took us about almost a full day to get my string to where one it was the correct length and then two, like I would shoot it one time and my peep would spin. And I'm trying, you know, so I kind of got sighted in to 20 yards. Um, but once I got it set, 
I put it in the bow press one more time. I spun the string to the right position, and I just left it. And I thought, okay, I can't pull this thing back because if I do, the peep, after one shot, the peep's in the wrong position. So I had to hunt with it like that. And I remember telling myself, never again am I going to go on a hunt without a backup set in my bow case. So, you know, that's a good lesson a for you. Yeah. It's worth the investment to buy the string and cable and then, you know, buy the string and cable and then go ahead and just put it in your boat, put the backup set or the original set in your bow case and use it. But, uh, well, hey, dude, I'm going to, we've been talking now for about almost 48 minutes, if you can believe that. So, um, it goes by quick. It does. It does. Well, hang on the line. I'm going to, I'm going to wrap this up right now, but hang on the line for me. Uh, everybody okay. give a round of applause, uh, for my man over in Afghanistan. And, uh, thanks so much, dude, for what you're doing. And, uh, we'll probably keep going. I'll probably make this a two part series cause I don't want to lose you while I got you. So thanks everyone for listening to knock on podcast. Be sure to tune in. Uh, to the next one as soon as you find it on either Podbean or iTunes. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com